0: Take a deep breath in, pull, one, two, three, and breathe out. Deep breathing is an incredible tool for reducing stress levels and bringing awareness to the present. Welcome to Normalize the Conversation. I'm your host, Francesca Reiketer, and today I'm joined by mental health advocate, breathwork facilitator and podcast host brian pyatt brian is creating a safe space to talk about mental health by hosting the take what serves and leave the rest podcast brian is taking his love for mental health advocacy into a professional career as a grad student in mental health counseling join us as brian opens up about his own mental health journey the value of breath work, and the difficulty expressing your emotions publicly. Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. I am super excited for this conversation, but before we jump in, I really want to check in with you. How are you really?
1: Hmm, great question. That's the, the question that we aren't always asking each other, right, most days. Um, you know what? I am uh, I'm doing okay today. I am... Uh, I think one of the things that I know when it comes to my mental health that I I tend to struggle with is like this kind of foundational um, feeling that there's like something wrong with me or that like, there's something, you know, like, like deeply wrong with me. I feel like that, like when I think about a lot of what I struggle with, like it all kind of funnels back sometimes to that core belief, which is kind of so heartbreaking to say out loud. But um, I'm noticing that like that, Kind of shame stuff for me is a little bit present today so um that is uh that's present as i as i step into this conversation with you but i i also am grateful for the tools that i have to kind of ride those ride those waves so I'm i'm riding the waves this morning
0: it's so hard when you kind of feel ashamed like something's wrong with you that's something i also struggle with especially for me i don't know if this resonates with you but by having these tools and knowing what to do and still not feeling great or like it's just not working in that moment, I get so frustrated and overwhelmed because I'm like, what's wrong with me? That I have the tools, I have the knowledge, I am working on being able to help other people through this. And yet right now I just can't get myself through this moment.
1: Yeah, so true. And I think it's um I think it, you know, sometimes especially doing you know, like mental health advocacy work and speaking out and, you know, like you said, holding space and helping other people. Sometimes it, it starts to feel like I'm supposed to have all my stuff together before I can do that. And the reality is, is that, you know, I'm still, I'm still a human. You're still a human, just trying to do the best that we can like day in and day out. And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for a lot of the progress that I've made. And I, I can see a lot of the growth that I've made in my life. And I think also, um, so important to to kind of be gentle with myself too that when I get into these places where it's hard um you know I can like be gentle with myself through that process and not try to beat myself up too much
0: it's so important to be gentle with ourselves because it's a lifelong process and lifelong journey Mm -hmm. and it's so hard to recognize that like I might feel great today and great tomorrow might feel great for like a year and then suddenly it's just It's a process. It's a journey. You have your ups and your downs, your mountains, your climbs, and getting to that point of accepting that that's kind of how it is and working through it and then being willing to use your voice, your information, your tools to advocate for others and then also be in school to become a therapist and want to do it in a professional career aspect as well is incredible. What inspired you to go down this road?
1: Yeah, you know, I think um I think a lot of it for me has been just my own my own experience with, you know, just going through what I've gone through when it comes to my mental health. I started struggling really bad with um anxiety and a lot of kind of O C D symptoms when I was in middle school. And um you know, I I I lived a lot of my life not really knowing what was going on with me. Like I, I kind of I knew that there was something happening. Happening. Something felt off, something felt like, but, but I had no way to like, I didn't really know how to verbalize it. You know, there wasn't a lot of, you know, back when I was going through that, I, there wasn't as much conversation around mental health back then when I was in middle school. And so I think, you know, going through um, a lot of my life, struggling personally, to kind of getting to this point of Speaking out and kind of using, you know, I, I have a, a background in broadcast journalism is was kind of my career before I made this shift into into the mental health world and really lucky to have a platform where um, I could talk about some of these things and reach people. And, you know, that, that's that been really, really meaningful work. And then um, in, during the the pandemic, I, I kind of like a lot of people, I think, realized, you know, I think it's kind of time to make a shift and I think it's time to actually start you know doing this work full time and really I've been wanting to do it for a really long time and so I I decided to to jump into the grad school process and honestly not really knowing do I really even want to become a therapist or but it just felt like this is the next step and we'll kind of let it like unfold moment by moment and the more that I've gotten into it I think I've realized that uh, I want to keep doing the work that I'm doing kind of on a broader scale with um mental health advocacy but also I think really craving working one-on-one with people and being able to to help people in that way too. I'm ready to kind of step into that layer of of the process.
0: That is incredible. I resonate with so much of your journey from those days in middle school of not knowing. I live with bipolar 2 disorder and not Mm -hmm. knowing what was kind of wrong with me, knowing something was not right, but not what it was, not having the language to explain how I was feeling, yeah thinking internalizing it because when I would have these breakdowns and these fits it was grow up you're too old for this get over it stop acting like a baby so I internalized a lot of it didn't have the language to express and it spiraled uh-huh. for a while and then to get to that point where it was right in the beginning of the pandemic for me starting that advocacy work starting the nonprofit starting the podcast, working toward applying to grad school to become a therapist, kind of that same, very similar journey, very similar path. How are you liking school and working through becoming a therapist? I had an exam last night, not a fan right now.
1: (laughs) You had what last night? An An exam. exam,
0: a midterm on Halloween.
1: Oh no. Yeah. You know, luckily I have to say my program, I think that I've I've only had one actual exam. It, oh, most man. of them have all been like papers and more project based. Yeah. Um, exams are stressful. The whole like right yeah. and wrong of everything. Yeah, yeah, that's that's super stressful. You know, it's been um, it's been great. I you know I I think it's it's very different going going to school at this phase of my life. You know, I'm um, I'm a little older. So I'm, I turned thirty seven actually this month, which is wild. Um, so, you know, it's nice to be learning about something that I genuinely care about versus not that I didn't care about what I was learning about when I was in like undergrad, but it was a much different, just let's just kind of work the system and get good grades and get out of there kind of an approach. And whereas now it's like, there's, there's genuine interest in actually learning. Um, and you know, some classes are, I love some classes I can't stand and, you know, like everything in between, but I, uh I feel it just kind of feels like the right thing to do, you know, just to, to kind of um take that next step in my career. And, you know, I think there's, there's the, there's the reality of obviously wanting to help people. And I think also learning, like, how do I make a living doing this? You know, how do I financially support myself? You know, I think that's a real, key piece of, of all of this is, um, you know, if you've, I feel very passionate and called to do this work and there's also the reality of existing in our society and how do I, how do I make money doing it? And how do I provide a living for myself doing it? And and so I think this is going to really help me in that, in that process of kind of, um, laying a foundation to be able to support other people.
0: Same. It's, The work we're doing is so amazing, so needed, but it doesn't necessarily lead to financial stability and being able to afford the cost of living and being alive. So to kind of move into a career and figure out a way to do this, that something you're so passionate about for a living and be able to actually make money doing it is incredible and a overwhelming journey to say the least which brings me to breath work and being able to find an outlet to breathe in the midst. For me, I started breath work in the beginning of when I was starting my master's, and it helped so much for me to catch my breath again and feel more in control with the severe anxiety. My heart rate will get so high that I think I'm having a heart attack and I just can't catch my breath. I genuinely am hyperventilating on the floor. So breath work has been an amazing tool for me to just be able to, again, catch my breath, feel in control, as well as just relax and calm down and get to a space of clarity, kind of being able to reset, restart, and get through. What inspired you to kind of go into facilitating breath work and first, actually, can you explain more about what breath work is?
1: Yes, absolutely. I love talking about breath work. It's like my, my favorite thing right now. Um, So I, I how do I describe breath work? I, I find that breath work is one of those things that you kind of have to experience yourself, because I think everybody's going to like have their own experience with it. I think there's, um, there's a lot of different ways that we can use our our breath. Like I think our breath what, what I find so beautiful and powerful about it is that it is, it doesn't cost us anything <laughs> and it's with us at all times. Like it's this thing that is with us always and we can utilize it to help like regulate our, our nervous system and connect to our bodies. And so, um, you know, there's, there's so many different ways that we can do that. We can slow down the breath. We can do like things like box breathing and really, you know, taking slow, more drawn out intentional breaths, that's going to kind of calm and soothe the, the nervous system. And then there's also a lot of the breath work w- that I've really dove into over the last several years is actually more of a kind of an activation of the breath. So it's like a techniques of breathing where we're, we're actually almost like firing up the breath, speeding up the breath for a, um, an extended period of time to actually move energy in our body and, and kind of, Um, I have found it's, it's one of the most powerful ways that I've been able to kind of guide myself away from the noise of my mind and really getting into, into my body. And so you'll hear a lot of different terms out there under the, the breathwork umbrella. There's things like holotropic breathwork. There's, um, a guy named Wim Hof. The Wim Hof method is really, really big in the breathwork world right now. Um, I trained under a guy named David Elliott teaches a, a three-part breath and so it's where we're, we're breathing in and out of the mouth it's like um breathing into the belly breathing into the chest and then releasing for kind of an extended you know we'll do that for like upwards of like 20 to 25 minutes which sounds wild but um you know, really doing that for, for an extended period of time and then releasing the breath and really opening up to some pretty powerful and beautiful, like deep meditative spaces. So, um, just a lot of different ways to describe breath work, but I, I ultimately, um, foundationally describe it as a way to use the breath to connect to our bodies. You know, we're living so much of our life up in our minds, and that's where we—at least—that's where I tend to get myself into trouble. Is trying uh-huh. to live from the from the the shoulders up, and I, I find breath work helps me connect to to my body from the shoulders down and kind of live a more embodied way of life.
0: That's like the perfect definition of what breath, breath work is. It's kind of like a gateway to meditation, is what my breath yeah. work coach would call it. I can't really get myself to meditate in the beginning when I was first kind of post psych ward meditating for like a minute or two I could kind of do I would sit with my mom and we would just like close our eyes and take deep breaths and try to get myself to a space of calm but since then cannot keep my mind just I can't sit still like that my mind is going and going and going and with breath work I found that focusing on my breath keeps my mind from over Mm -hmm. It's mm-hmm. like the one thing that can calm me down, whereas yeah. sitting in silence and just not focusing on my breath that way did not work for me. But I did that same, um, the three breaths, breathing in your belly, your chest, and then the exhale. Yeah. Amazing. Can, I can tell you the first time my body was like kind of shaking a little. Yeah. It was such an incredible experience. I was like, yes. wow.
1: Yeah, it's powerful. St- stuff. And and it, you know, a lot of times, you know, when we really dive in and, and do some of these really deep breath work practices, like I talked about, you know, there's a lot of tingling sensations that happen in the body. There's a lot of like lightheadedness that can come up, which I know for people mm-hmm. who struggle with anxiety and things like that, they can be pretty um jarring initially because those sensations yeah. can really, you know, be a little triggering. But um it uh one of the most powerful things that I've found with breath work is an ability to um it helps me release emotion in a way that I've never really been able to do before. You know i've I, I've been somebody who it's hard to access like my emotional body a lot of times. like I, it's almost like I've learned how to like dissociate from that over the years and just kind of think my way through emotions without actually feeling yeah. the emotion that's happening in my body. And so breath work, um, is a great way for me to just lay down, tap into the practice and cry or, um, you know, let out healthy anger, um, let out frustration, like whatever's in my body, just giving it a way like to be expressed is, um, something that I've found just so, so powerful for me personally as somebody that is kind of at this stage of my life, learning what it's like to feel emotions and not just think about them. (laughs) They're two very different things.
0: It is. And learning to feel and express in a healthy way can be so difficult. I know Mm -hmm. in my experience, expressing my emotions, I could not put words to what I was feeling in the beginning. I could not. It was just on the floor crying or like screaming, maybe throwing my phone went too many phones from that just not having a way to feel any kind of control over what I was feeling or express Mm -hmm. in a way that made sense to get through the emotion because the only thing that came out of the like anger throwing my phone was more anger that my phone was broken it was not it was a vicious cycle it was not healthy in any way. It was not helping me move through the emotion It was not helping me understand where it was coming from. It was just these mm-hmm. kind of spontaneous reactions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and we kind of live in, we live in a world that isn't always the most conducive to allowing ourselves to feel our emotions and, and, and find ways to express them in a healthy way. Like we're not, we're just, that, that doesn't seem to be a priority that we've decided as a society, like we're going to teach mm-hmm. people how to be in their bodies and feel their emotions. Um, as simple as that sounds, that's kind of a, um, it's a real journey to like learn how to do that in a, in a healthy way. And I, I do think a lot of, there's a lot of struggle that happens when we, we don't let ourselves cry or we don't let ourselves yeah. just kind of feel what's there. Like, I, I mean, I, I was doing an interview on my podcast with, um, a musician, her name is Allegra Miles. And we were talking about how like crying is kind of our, like, it's become like one of my new favorite things, like as silly as that sounds like it's, it's a, it's a cathartic experience to like, let myself cry. And And I usually find there's actually kind of this like temporary, um, almost release of the grip of my mind when I let myself cry like I'm like thinking 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 ruminating 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 and then when I like let myself cry or like express emotion there's like a there's a release on the other side of that that doesn't last forever but it's like a temporary kind of release like you know my body just kind of sometimes wants to feel what's there and not um over complicating it by by just trying to think about it with my mind
0: I heard this quote one time, um, how like all these stressors in our lives are like this fire within us and eventually it just kind of overwhelms and our tears are the way we're putting out that fire, they're the water, Mm -hmm. we're extinguishing it. So by, for me, that offered a lot of peace in this feeling that I was crying or wanting to cry. I tried to hold it in for so long because growing up, again, those invalidating phrases of you can't, like you can't cry, you can't act like this. You don't want people to see you crying. That was all the messaging I was getting because that's, again, society doesn't prioritize expressing our emotions. It doesn't prioritize allowing us to feel and process and heal and move forward. It prioritizes this idea that strength comes from, constant resilience and resilience comes from not crying yeah. not allowing yourself to fall down and stay down for a little bit before getting back up it's you fall and have to get back up right away and there's only so many times we can do that before we are gonna stay down and not because we want to give ourselves the space but because it's like it feels physically impossible to get back up
1: Mm-hmm, and it's um and it's isolating, you know. I found like that way of being is a very isolating thing. I know that's something that I'm I'm working on very much in my life. And I, I kind of have this default setting within me, um, where when I when I'm feeling like quote unquote messy or emotional or struggling, instead of leaning into people, which is what I need the most, I tend to just withdraw and kind of isolate and try to like wait until I feel good and pulled together before I kind of reemerge back into the world and back into my relationships. And, you know, I, it, uh, it's been really, really deep work for me to kind of recognize that pattern and recognize, like learn how to be emotional in front of other people or not always be pulled together and on. And like all, like for me, there's a lot of that kind of messaging that I've picked up throughout my life of, you know, just be the really nice one and really pulled together. And, you know, just only like, it's like only express positive emotions to the world. Like that's all that you're allowed to do, which is Mm -hmm. so not what being a human is about. (laughs) You know, it's, we, we, we all experience such a huge range of emotions every day. And, um, it's, it's deep work learning how to, how to integrate all of that. Um, and, and definitely something that I'm, I'm going to be working on for a long time, I think, in, in my life.
0: Same. And it's so like easy as an advocate, as someone who wants to help others to feel like you have to put on that face, especially with social mm-hmm. media and look like you have it all together. And yeah. recently, I realized that I would get a lot of DMs from people asking like, how do you do it looking at what you're doing and all that you're accomplishing I feel so inferior like I'm not doing enough like I'm not handling mm-hmm. enough and I really opened my eyes to how because I'm so like that person person's like be authentic on social media and I'll like share honest posts about how I'm feeling but like, it kind of goes over people's heads in that way because they don't see it they see like this person who's smiling all the time and yeah. surrounded by people and doing these podcast episodes or publishing these books or doing these speaking engagements. Like that's all they really see from the images. So I went uh-huh. on my Instagram story like maybe two weeks ago and I like took pictures on my face without six layers of concealer on. And I was like, I feel like I'm physically dying 95% of the time when I yeah. don't have to have this much makeup on my face to look like I'm awake and alive. This is what I actually look like and feel like. And everyone thought I was sick. I was like, I'm not sick. This is genuinely how I look and how I feel. And it's like this constant level of burnout in trying to take care of myself, but trying to produce enough so that I can be helpful or perceived as good enough for myself internally and to others. So even that sharing what you're really feeling and what you're kind of going through can be so difficult because people's responses can be like they're genuinely concerned for your health and safety totally. at that point
1: and it makes yeah and it makes share at least for me it makes sharing kind of scary sometimes because it's yeah. you know I um I mean because I am constantly maneuvering that question in my mind of like what's what's a healthy amount of sharing for me to put out there on social media and, and when does it cross over into maybe not the healthiest thing for me. And I and I, I do find that it always kind of comes back to like, what are other people going to think of me if I'm really vulnerable and open about what I'm going through? Are they going to think I'm just wanting attention and like all of that kind of rhetoric starts yeah. to take hold. But I do, this is where, man, the the broader conversation around social media is so fascinating to me because on the one hand, I think it's doing awful things to our brains and the comparison and all the toxicity that comes with social media. And I know, you know, like when I've really been struggling, social media has been such a source of hope and connection to connect with other advocates and people being open about their experiences of what they're going through. It's given me a lot of comfort too. And so I, I, I try to like always remind myself that no matter what people think about when, you know, what I'm sharing, I guess at the end of the day, the intention is trying to reach that one person who, who is feeling like they're the only one that's, that's, that's struggling and that there's something wrong with them. And, and I think we have to find ways to reach and put out more content like that through social media to like get through this illusion that everybody else has it all pulled together and I'm the only one that's struggling. Like that's, it's, yeah. it's so toxic and it's everywhere right now.
0: It is. And it's so, for me, I constantly follow and unfollow accounts because I'm like, I really like, like this person, like I want to follow. And then I'm like, it's so frustrating to see sometimes like how lavish their lifestyle seems and like all these great things that they can do. And I'm like, I want to be able to do stuff like this and it's just not feasible. Whereas other people may get to kind of go out on Halloween and have fun. I'm taking an exam and then laying in bed and trying to rebrand and figure out new color schemes. And it can be so overwhelming, that comparison game of other people have the luxury of time to have fun. They have Mm -hmm. all these financial resources. They have all these friends who are showing up. And I'm like by myself in a hotel every other day trying to Mm -hmm. just figure out the next step
1: yeah and sometimes that's all we know right it's like Mm -hmm. what's the next step (laughs) like like no idea what the step is going to be beyond that but what is Mm -hmm. what is the next step and I um yeah I think about that a lot like the like I've, I've there's something within me that feels so called to do this work I guess that's like always how I've described it like I feel like there's like a deeper calling happening in my life to like help other people like it feels very um like, soul-based work for me, um, and I also don't want to live my life feeling, like, strapped to the work or, like, feel like I'm sacrificing personal relationships or, like, the things that really matter in life, like mm-hmm. human connection and all of that, because I've, you know, I, living in, i worked for a number of years in, in broadcast journalism with, you know, kind of this career that from the outside looking in man it looked like I had it all pulled together like I had on on paper I kind of had I had everything that that you're supposed that kind of defines Mm -hmm. success and um, I think I was so I was like so disconnected from myself and I was so disconnected from like I was almost living for just like only the approval of other people and kind of the flashiness of the job Mm -hmm. and um, as I as I really step into this new layer of my career it's it's really really important to me to to maintain that, you know, step into the work and help other people, but also like not lose sight of the fact that like the foundational things in life that really matter, like just connecting with family and friends and loved ones and making sure I'm investing more in that than, than my career.
0: Yes. And making that shift can be so difficult. Not only is there like other people's opinions, but then that own kind of fear within yourself. Is this the right move? yeah how did you kind of navigate making that shift?
1: yeah you know um it was a long time coming you know it was it was building for a long time i think i this was definitely wasn't like a rash decision that I just woke up one day and was like i'm gonna i'm gonna switch careers you know like this had been building for me for a really long time. I actually thought about <laughs> when I was graduating when I was graduating um Undergrad, I I thought about going into psychology and grad school back then. This was sort of been back in like 2008. But I had already invested all this time in this whole broadcasting degree. And I was like, I need to at least give it a shot. You know, I need to like step in and give this TV thing a try and ended up working out. And kind of one thing led to another. and, And I'm really really grateful for the path that I went on with that and it's it's definitely brought me to where I am today met so many wonderful people along the way had so many great experiences and yet at the same time there was always this kind of like undercurrent that was within me where I kind of knew that this was the type of like this helping and talking about like mental health and just giving people a safe space to like be human I guess was very much like Always there within me, and I always felt like I was being nudged in that direction. Um, and so, I guess the the pandemic mixed with that kind of undercurrent that had been there for a long time. It was just like, hey, it's time to make a change. And and I, you know, the, you bring up the right and making the right decision. I, I, my brain thrives on black and white thinking or all or nothing thinking. You know, feeling like I always have to make the right decision about something and. I've I've really had to learn in my life how to invite uncertainty along for the ride, you know, and recognize that there's never, I don't know that there really are right and wrong decisions. There's just decisions that we make and we do the best that we can with them. And, you know, I have a, I have a good dear friend who always talks about like the 80% rule, you know, like sometimes it's not about being a hundred percent certain about something. It's like, can you get to the 80%? Like, can you get to 80% and say like, 80% of me wants to do this. And and then sometimes just living by that has really helped me to like recognize that there's always going to be that space where we don't really know whether it's getting into a relationship or making a career move. Like, are we ever 100% certain that this is the right thing for us? Um, I would argue no. (laughs) You know, like we, we have to learn how to live to some extent with the uncertainty of all the decisions that we make.
0: I love that outlook, because there's always going to be uncertainty. And I think that kind of prevents so many people from making a next step. Is that what if it doesn't work out? That's so normal to like question it. It's normal to just not know. We can't know. The world is so unpredictable. I mean, look at 2020, the pandemic shut everything down. That wasn't something we could predict. And knowing that it's okay to live in a space of uncertainty but chase after what makes you smile what makes you happy if that's the right time for you and it's different for everyone
1: and I think and I would add with that that um, I've often described it as doing work like work no matter what we're doing with our our lives and our career like there's going to be an element of it's going to be hard like there's going to be sacrifices there's going to be hard work that we have to put in there's going to be stress it's more like for me, it was deciding, what am I willing to endure that stress for? Like, like, am I, to me, it feels worth it to feel stressed out sometimes, or, you know, overwhelmed sometimes by this, this work that I'm stepping into and this, this career, because at the end of the day, I think it matters to help other people and to like, talk about these things and mental health and wellness and all of that are things that I care deeply about. And so I'm willing to be uncomfortable for that, I guess is kind of how I would describe it.
0: I love that. I I feel like that describes how I feel too. Just
1: mm-hmm.
0: loving the idea that you could save one person's life. Loving yeah. the idea that you can use, like I can use what I've learned and what I've gone through to maybe just spark a tiny bit of hope in someone else. Something that I desperately needed at the time. And I didn't yes. see a voice at that time giving me that kind of feeling of hope.
1: I just, I think back to, so for me, you know, a lot lot of what I've gone through has been struggling with kind of this anxiety and obsessive compulsive tendency of my mind. And so I've done a lot of um, advocacy work in the OCD community and really helping to get, um, accurate information out there about a disorder um, in OCD that's really misunderstood. Like a lot of people yeah. out there are struggling with a lot of symptoms around that and kind of have no idea because of a lot of the the misunderstandings around it. But I I just think back to when I've been in really dark places, like the podcasts that I've listened to that have totally shifted my entire day or the, the, the post on social media um, that just made me feel even for 10 minutes, it's less alone. And I think about like the events that I attended and heard people speak, like all of those things were just these little nudges along the way of like lifting me up and helping me feel less alone and lifting some of the shame. And it's like, if I can do that for somebody else now moving forward, that's, that's the goal, you know, it's just planting these little things out there into the world where, you know, we can hopefully reach people and just, um, Remind them that they're okay. There's nothing wrong with them.
0: I love that. It's so, it can feel so isolating. Like we said before, it can feel so overwhelmingly isolating when you don't know, when you don't have accurate information, when you're wondering, why am I having these thoughts? Why am I responding this way? And having all this misinformation of, I mean, OCD, I think is one of the most misinformed Um, disorder because people think it genuinely is like lining up your shoes or organizing your closet a certain way so it can be again I can't Mm -hmm. think of another word but isolating when you're having these kind of thoughts and feelings and not being able to put it into words and not being able to explain to someone else because it's often minimized in other people's minds
1: yes and that was that's what breaks my heart around OCD is, you know, a lot of, there, there's a term out there and I would encourage people to to look it up. It's called pure OCD. It's kind of a, uh, a term used for kind of the manifestation of OCD that is more like people experiencing intrusive thoughts in their mind that are are then followed up by, by mental compulsions that are not visible. Like these are all like mental, like ruminating and checking and counting and praying and like all of these things that happen in the mind that nobody sees. And so, you know, a lot of people think of OCD as just like you just said, being organized or being tidy or washing your hands and, you know, the washing your hands thing obviously is a very real thing for a lot of people. And there's, there's so many ways that it manifests that, that we don't talk about. And a lot of times what, what our minds latch onto with OCP are really, um, shame inducing thoughts. So people questioning, having thoughts of harming somebody else. Why, like, why am I thinking about that? That must mean that I'm a bad person or things, you know, latching onto things around sexuality and, um, you know, our minds, creating this really elaborate story that there's something terribly wrong with us. And we're all, we're a monster or something for, you know, why am I having that thought? And so there's just an immense amount of shame happening for, for people who struggle with this. And that's, that's one of the hardest pieces to maneuver. I know for me, I mean, I still experience it kind of day in and day out, you know, there it's, it's, but I just at least have the tools now to, to kind of ride those waves a little bit, a little bit better than I used to.
0: What are some of those tools, if you don't mind sharing?
1: Yeah. um, You know, foundationally, uh, it was learning how to not always get anxiety or uncertainty to go away, but, but learning how to live with the discomfort of those things and kind of inviting those things along for the ride. It was something that when I really dove into like proper treatment around OCD, that, that shifted everything for me. Cause I I, I was kind of living and I still, I can still get kind of sucked into this way of being sometimes where it's like, I need to do all the things to feel good. And, you know, I, I need to get all the anxiety to go away before I can live my life. And, and I've realized how freeing it is that instead of, being overly consumed with feeling good all the time. It's like, how do I, how do I learn how to feel anxiety and move with it and still show up for my days? Or how do I sit with uncertainty and, and kind of let that like not have to have my, ma- my mind come up with a a final answer about whatever it is that I'm ruminating about. Cause that'll never happen. My mind's always going to come up with more questions and so, so that was really foundational kind of shifting my perspective with that. Um, meditation, breath work, connecting to my body are, are huge things for me. I, I, then that kind of looks different every day. I really love the word recently embodied, like trying to be in a more of an embodied space, like connecting to my, my physical body and not just ruminating and living so, so much of my life up in my mind. Um, you know, and there's so many, I, I love the analogy of just like a mental health toolkit, <laughs> you know, all these different things that kind of work together, not to take everything away, not to take the struggle away, but just to at least get me into a place where I can draw upon my tools a little bit more effectively, you know, so I yeah. see therapists, I, I take medication, medication has been helpful for me, uh, trying to get some good sleep, trying to connect, not isolate, you know, all those things I think work together to to just make things a little bit more smooth
0: thank you for sharing the mental health toolkit I think is something that's so underrated and not talked about enough Mm -hmm. I I firmly believe that there's this misconception that people have that one it's just going to be one thing that works so they're kind of trying to find that one thing and as soon as it works for something it's like okay that's it I found my tool and Mm -hmm. when it doesn't work it's like what's wrong with me I'm I'm broken I'm falling apart like Mm -hmm. I can't it's out of my control and it kind of spirals into this feeling of hopelessness so I know for me building that toolkit and when I built it I focused on all the things that worked for different emotions as well because sometimes what worked for anxiety did not work for like this feeling of anger this feeling of burnout So making a list of maybe three things that worked for each emotion in the past and it's constantly changing, constantly updating. Like I said, in the beginning, Mm -hmm. I thought meditation was this really great tool for me. And now it's something that genuinely just doesn't work. I used to go for runs, loved running. Now, do not ask me to run. It's never gonna happen. I am never gonna run. The only thing I run is my mouth. Um, Mm. so, (laughs) So finding tools that kind of work for me in the space that I'm at now has been so helpful. Brian, you have been absolutely incredible today. As we begin to wrap up, what is one message of hope that you would like to offer the audience? Mm.
1: You know, I, I always, I always come back to the, the word gentle, like be gentle with yourself. And I know it, that's such a, it's such an easier thing to say than do sometimes, but um. I really just encourage people out there listening that our minds are going to come up with all these really elaborate, scary, overwhelming stories about ourselves or the world that we're living in and, and our present moment. And like, that is not a representation of who you are. You know, I, I really think we're as human beings, we're, we're much deeper than, than the noise of, of our minds. And so I just encourage people to be really gentle with themselves and, um, when those stories get really, really strong. And, um, I also think small, steady steps forward really make a huge difference. So I've, yeah. i really, yeah, i really recognized just, you know, for me, sometimes it's just getting out the door and going to the coffee shop and sending an email, um, as simple as that might be it helps to just provide a little bit of forward momentum with my day that, that can help a lot. And so, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel every single day, but I just think steady steps forward can, can make a huge difference.
0: Being gentle with yourself and steady steps forward is amazing, amazing advice. Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for listening to Normalize the Conversation. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. This podcast is an initiative of inspiring my generation. Focusing on normalizing the conversation, bringing education and awareness to the forefront, and amplifying global voices to spark change and hope. Inspiring My Generation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization on a mission towards suicide prevention through awareness, conversation, education, and support. Connect with us on Instagram at inspiringmygeneration and visit our website inspiringmygeneration.org to learn more about our work and how you can make a difference.